Okay, so as we begin again, let me just kind of remind you, and this is going to be true with all of the prophets that we're doing. We're talking about prophecy for the nation Israel. So you're going to, we're going to look at some things. There's going to be promises and so forth. Some of those promises are yet to be fulfilled. They will be ultimately fulfilled when who comes back? When Jesus comes back and the nation is regathered, okay? So this is for the nation Israel. It's not for any other nation. So you can't put this, you know, this isn't for Russia. This isn't for U.S. This is not for any other nation. This is for Israel. Now, how do we apply it to our lives? Well, I want you to think in terms of Israel being the people of God. You are a part of the people of God. So there are some lessons there that we can learn for how, what God expects of us, okay, as his people, all right? So we're going to see the final uh, set of charges against Israel this morning, okay? So the final charge, we're going to see that in chapter 11, verse 12, which is only one verse in chapter 11, through chapter 13, verse 16. So the first thing he's going to focus on is Israel's unfaithfulness. Israel's unfaithfulness. So the first thing I want you to see is this. The Lord declares that Israel has been deceitful in its dealings with him. All right? So he's been deceitful. If you look at verse 12, last verse of chapter 11, Ephraim, sometimes he uses that tribe to express all of the, all of the northern kingdom. Ephraim, Ephraim has encircled me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. So he's declaring that basically whenever Israel is coming to him, they're very deceitful with him. Now, what, why, would, why would he say that? Well, think about what they're doing. Remember I told you that they kind of live double lives. So on one hand, they're praising Yahweh, they're praising Jehovah, they're asking for Jehovah's blessing, but on the other hand, they're also going and what? Making sacrifices to the Canaanite gods, to Baal, to Ashtaroth. They're sacrificing their children. Think about that. Sacrificing your children, all right? So they're, they're leading double lives here. So they're giving God lip service, and God is saying that that lip service is what? Lies. You know what I'm saying? However, he says, uh, you know, he points out something about Judah, all right? So he acknowledges that at that point, so at the point when this was being written, Judah still walks with God. Not truly walking with God, because we know when we look at their history, they're, they're kind of doing the same things, but for the most part, the kings are walking with the Lord. Well, some of the kings, okay? So Israel's pursuits are futile, feeds on the wind. So that's when he, when he, when he says in the passage that Israel feeds on the wind, it means their pursuits are futile, okay? So look with me at verse... 12, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. He makes a covenant with the Assyrians and oil is carried to Egypt. When it talks about oil being carried to Egypt, that's a tribute. So they paid tribute to Egypt. 
What do you mean a tribute? Well, they gave them oil or sometimes gold or whatever to be their ally. And so her, her pursuits are futile, feeds on the wind as she makes alliances with Assyria, which is who she's scared of, and Egypt, of all places, Egypt, you know? So the Lord will bring charges against Judah and will punish his people for their sins. So here now, when you get to uh, verse 2, it says the Lord also brings charge against Israel and will punish Jacob according to his ways. So on one hand, he's saying, yeah, Judah is still following after me, but I'm going to punish them too because they're not doing right as well. Okay? They're not doing right as well. So what we see here is that they are, as a, as a people, are basically unfaithful. Unfaithful. So then when you get to verses 3 and 6, he kind of shifts and he's going to give the example of Jacob. So look with me at verse 3 and three through 6. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. Who's that describing? Jacob, remember? Esau came out first. When, when uh, Jacob came out, he was holding on to whose heel? Esau's heel. Okay, now, And Jacob means heel grabber. That's what the name Jacob means. It means heel grabber. Okay? Now, he, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Remember, he struggled, wrestled with God, okay, by Penuel. And yes, he struggled with an angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. Remember, he laid on a stone in Bethel and went to sleep, and he saw the, the ladder with angels ascending and descending, and he woke up and realized he saw God, okay, and found him in Bethel. And there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. And so you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. Okay, so here's what the example of Jacob is. So the Lord reflects on certain events from Jacob's life to reflect on their relationship. What's God doing here? He wants to remind them, look, I'm not the big meanie. I'm not just here to drop the hammer on you, some God you have to appease to make sure he's not angry with you all the time. Which, by the way, don't we get that way in our thinking, that God's out to get us, okay? I'm the one who, if you think about your forefather, Jacob, who, who, would change, who God would change his name to Israel, I was with him from every intricate detail in his life, and he sought after me. And I was there for him, okay? So he's kind of reflecting on Jacob's life, and he calls Israel to return and observe mercy and justice with his help. So he's saying, return, and when you return, observe mercy and justice. But he says, with my help. Look at what it says there, verse 6. I think this is interest. Observe mercy and justice and wait. Oh, oh so... And so you, by the help of your God, return. Observe mercy and justice, wait on your God continually. That first part of that verse says, 
and with the help of your God. Now, isn't that interesting? What, 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 what kind of sticks out to you there? Anyway, what sticks out to you there? He's telling them to return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on the Lord continually. But the very first part of the verse tells us how we can do that. Well, it's not that we ask. We have to decide to do it, but who will help us? Yeah, this is the point. It's not something you ask for. If you're his child and you make the choice to follow him, it's not that I'm asking for him to be with me to help me to do what I'm supposed to do. He's going to be with you to help you to do what you're going to do. So he starts the verse by saying to Israel, look, I will help you do this, but you return and you observe mercy and justice and you wait on me. I'll help you to do that. Now, do we need that help? Yeah, because if we were left to ourselves, how much on a typical day do you find yourself drifting in your own spiritual lives thinking, man, I know I need to spend some time in prayer, but man, my day's busy today, or, or your thoughts are somewhere else, or, or, or you, know, you get distracted. and Yeah, if you're his child, you can't live the life he wants you to live without him. Do you, do you understand? You can't live the life that he wants you to live without him. So let me, let me give you a personal testimony. So I came to Christ in 1985. You know, I was 19 years old. I didn't go to church when I grew up. We occasionally went to church, but I, I didn't go to church. Uh... I mean, you could probably count on a hand how many times I went to church. So when I, when I got saved, so I went to this little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. That's where I was baptized. That's where I was ordained. And I'll be honest with you, being an independent Baptist church, one of the things they were telling me as far as salvation by faith, they were telling me what kind of Bible to carry, how to dress coming to church, what's acceptable as far as your hair, or not having hair on your face, I'd be in trouble right now. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, just, the kind of, just that kind of stuff. And, and, you're, and being there for every service and giving and doing all of this stuff. And, and I was enthusiastic for the Lord. And I didn't know any better. And I just thought, yes, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. Now, here's the problem that happened with me. After a while, it's not possible to do everything. Do you not find that in human life? You can't be perfect in everything. And I'm a firstborn, okay? I sometimes have OCD tendencies, okay? So you can talk to Rob. When we go out to lunch, I kind of have this tendency. Every time we go out to lunch, I have, we have this tendency. The waitress will come and she'll bring the napkins with, with the forks. And Rob will tell you, I have this routine. I'll give him a fork, I'll, you know, fork set. I'll give me a fork set. I'll take the napkins. I'll put them over on this side right here. He laughs at me because this is, why do I do that? It's the same routine. He, he knows that I'm going to do this. This is my, I got to have things a certain way. And this is the way I was approaching my spiritual life. It only led to what in my life? Defeat. 
because you can't be perfect. Can you attend church every Sunday? You can, but that doesn't count for the fact that you might get sick. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and really, people don't want you coming to church if you're sick, right? Especially these days, you know? And, and so I never learned, I never knew, nobody ever communicated to me what the prophet is saying here to, to Israel. I'll help you. I will be with you. I will help you. You return to me. Pursue mercy and justice and wait on me. And somehow we've lost that in our communication that the Christian life, yes, I'm supposed to live the Christian life, but it's not me living the Christian life by myself. It's me living the Christian life with who? Jesus. Now here's the wonderful thing. How do I know that he'll be with me? Well, because when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper. Who is that? Holy Spirit. So the moment you got saved, the instant you got saved, who entered into your life? The Spirit of God did. So this isn't about you doing it on your own. It's about you living the Christian life together with Jesus. Do you understand? Together with Jesus, with, with the Spirit in your life. So he calls Israel to return and observe mercy and justice with his help. We've got to recognize God's there with us to help us. Okay, now, the Lord points out that Israel is enriched with deceitfulness and economic dishonesty. So he goes on, if we look a little bit further, I'm not going to read these verses. He talks about Israel basically having fat bank accounts because... Their scales are dishonest. They're enriching themselves off of others, especially the poor. So the reality is, is that that's not good. All right? That's not good. So Israel boldly proclaims that no one will find iniquity and sin in her. So on one hand, God says, you know, I look at you and you're just fat with... You, you, you've got, you're enriched yourself by, by, by cheating others. And Israel says, you're not going to find any sin in me. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Can anybody here make that kind of statement? I've done no wrong. Not truthfully, but we do know people who, who say that, right? Where does that kind of a statement come from? It comes from a person's what? Pride. And Israel is being prideful and not recognizing God sees right through everything. Do you know what I'm saying? God sees right through everything. So the Lord declares that he will make them live in tents again as they did in the wilderness. So meaning they're going to start wandering again. What does that mean? They're going to be in exile. They're going to be cast out of the promised land. God's going to deal with them. That's what just blows your mind. They're being warned, but they're not listening at all. So the Lord has spoken by his prophets and dreams, but they continue to worship idols. So God keeps sending them prophets like Hosea, like Elijah. 
And think about this. Can I be honest with you? One of the greatest victories in the Old Testament is Elijah on Mount Carmel. Do you guys know the story? You know, he, he, all the prophets, 450 prophets of Baal are there. He tells them, you make a sacrifice, and, you, and if, if your God consumes your sacrifice with fire, he's God. If my God consumes my sacrifice, then the Lord is God. And so the Baals, the Baal prophets are there. I mean, you've got to read the story. It's pretty interesting. They're there. They're cutting themselves. They're screaming. They're hollering. They're dancing, trying to get Baal to, to accept their offering. Elijah's sitting on the sideline saying, mocking them, saying, maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe you need to speak up a little bit louder. Maybe he's not hearing you. Then the time of the evening sacrifice comes, and Elijah tells him to come and douse, the, douse it with water three times. He had built a trench, filled up with water. He prayed. Fire came down from heaven consumed everything, licked it up, even took away the rocks. And the people, the people of the northern kingdom fell on their faces and said, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. You would think, seeing that, they would be like, whoo, we're wrong, we're going to worship the Lord from now on. No. They didn't keep following the Lord. They kept going after their idols. They kept going after their idols. The Lord spoke through prophets and to them to James. And they, what if they kept worshiping the idols? That makes a good point. I hear sometimes all the time people will say, if God would just do a miracle, then they'll believe. No, no, it, it won't, there won't be any belief. Did you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't have to do a miracle for people to believe because people didn't believe with all the greatest of miracles, right? So, yeah, this is where Israel's at. They're not in a good place. The people of God are not in a good place. So the Lord, Israel has provoked the Lord to anger for her sin and he will repay her evil. He will repay her evil. Now, here's the thing I need you to understand. Sometimes, I, I've mentioned this, I, I believe in eternal security. I believe that once I committed my life to Jesus, I am his. I am sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit is my guarantee. I am sealed. Okay? But I have seen and observed there is a wrong thinking that emerges from a good doctrine. The doctrine is good and pure, but the wrong thinking is, is I can just do whatever I want to do now. I'm okay. Really? You're his child. Did you just let your children run and go do whatever they wanted to do? No, you disciplined them. You, you, you gave them restrictions. You did whatever. So, I mean, the, the reality is that you did something. God's not just going to let you go do whatever. This is Israel. They're wanting to do whatever. And what is he doing? He's repaying them for their evil. That comes out of the prophets very much. God will deal with us about our sins. So here's the coming judgment. He said, at one time Ephraim was exalted among the tribes of Israel, but 
he leads the nation to sin. So in Ephraim, at Bethel, was where one of the golden calves was placed. So that tribe was leading the rest of the nation to sin with that golden calf. They sinned more and more as they offered human sacrifices to their idols. It says it right here in the passage. They were offering human sacrifices. More than likely it was children. Burning their children. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Israel will become momentary as the morning fog, smoke, or chaff on the threshing floor. Israel is only there for the moment, he's saying. The northern kingdom is only going to be there for a moment because it's going to be like what? The fog in the morning that dissipates. Or smoke. Smoke finally dissipates. Or the chaff from threshing wheat gets blown away. That's how momentary Israel is going to be. When the Lord proclaims that he is Israel's God and has always been, yet they forgot him. He says, I'm your God, I've always been your God, but you have forgotten me. So the Lord will become a destroyer to Israel and punish her. And punish her. And he did. And they're being punished even to this day, just to be honest with you. Their rejection of the Messiah, you, look folks, we have to see things from a biblical standpoint, not just from a historical standpoint, but when you look at what they have endured for the last 2,000 years as a people, it's because they're suffering for what? Rejecting the Messiah. So however, as she is destroyed, the Lord still proclaims that he is their help. God still loves her. He hasn't abandoned her completely. Do you understand? He still loves Israel. He still loves Israel. Israel asked for a king, and the Lord gave them one, and he took him away in judgment. So remember, in Samuel, they had the prophets. They were supposed to look to the Lord, but they, didn't, they wanted to be like all the other nations around them. They wanted a king. And so they went to Samuel and said, give us a king, give us a king. And Samuel was upset with them because he said, you're rejecting the Lord. The Lord said, okay, give him a king. So he gave him Saul. And did Saul turn out to be a good king? He was nuts. <laughs> he was nuts. And, and, and he rejected the Lord and he was taken away in judgment. So the prophet is reminding them, look, you asked for a king and every king afterwards was always a problem. In fact, when Samuel said to them, the Lord said, it's okay, God told Samuel, you tell them what it's going to be like when they have a king. And he told them about the terrible things that would happen if they had a king, and the people said, we still want a king. We want to be like the other nations. Okay. So they got what they wanted. So Israel's sin is such that there will be no compassion from the Lord. No compassion from the Lord because of their sin. Wow. So judgment is coming and Samaria, which is another name for, for the northern kingdom, will be held accountable for her guilt. Okay? Now, that brings us to chapter 14, verses 1 to 9, the final exhortation. 
So let me read you these verses. This is the final chapter of the book, okay? We got a few minutes here. We can do this. And when, you, when I read this to you, I want you to hear the heart of God in this. Okay, so he's mad at them. He's disciplining them. He's going to destroy them, but he's still their God. But I want you to hear his heart here, okay? O Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all our iniquity. Receive us graciously. And we will offer sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods, for in you the fatherless find mercy. And this is the Lord speaking. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. And he shall grow up like a lily and lengthen his roots to Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their secret shall be like the vine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed them. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Okay, so this is the final exhortation, all right? So let's talk about this together. First of all, there's a call to repentance. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 3. So the prophet calls Israel to return to the Lord because they have stumbled in their sins. Come back. Return to the Lord because you've stumbled. Okay? You've fallen into your sins. So they are to approach the Lord with words of repentance and acknowledge that there is no other help. So when you go to God, see, remember, they were going to God lying. They were going to God saying, oh, God, we worship you. We need your help. But in the in this meantime, they were going worshiping these idols. God said, if you're going to come to me, the prophet says, if you're going to come to the Lord, you need to come with words expressing your repentance that you need him and also expressing that there is no other help but God. It's kind of like, you say, we don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, we do. Think about the last time you were going through a crisis or something. And you're like, oh, God, I need your help in this area. In the meantime, you're also thinking about how much is in your bank account, how much can you get from your buddy, what kind of counsel can you get somewhere else. You're already planning to handle the problem, but you're asking God to cursory help you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've already decided. Why even bother bringing it to the Lord? You already figured it out. When you come in repentance and you say to him, there is no other help, you're not looking somewhere else. That's when it says that they're not looking to the Assyrians. They must proclaim that there are no other gods and that there is mercy in the Lord. 
It's an acknowledgement of a fact. It's you bringing yourself to the place of saying, there are no other gods. It's only you, Lord, and there is mercy with you. It's faith. It's faith. So that's where we see the call to repentance. Now here's the promise. The Lord states that he will heal their backsliding and love them freely. He'll heal their backsliding and love them freely. Now, if there's one thing you'll hear from the prophets over and over again, is that God, when we turn away from him, he heals us. When we get to Joel, you'll, he, you'll read where he says, and give me back the years the locusts have eaten. God is the one who brings healing to our lives, even in spite of our sin. Now, it's the second part of what he says here that blows my mind, okay? It's that he will love them freely. In fact, that's what the scripture says. So, okay. That's not human. What do you mean? Okay, let's say, I'm going to use Rob here as an example, okay? Rob and I are friends. Let's say I hurt Rob greatly. I do something that makes him angry. He's hurt. He, in fact, we have a little bit of a rift, and then finally we work things out. But do you think Rob looks at me the same way as we did before I hurt him? Is that a human trait to just forget everything and go back to the way it was before? No. He, he's still wondering, was he going to do that to me again? See what I'm saying? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And, and here's the thing. You know, before Rob would say, yeah, George is my buddy. I love him greatly. Now he says, oh yeah, I love him. But does he love me freely now? Is it kind of like everything's the same way it used to be? Because in the back of his mind, he's thinking, what, when's he going to do? Yeah, you're exactly right. Where's the knife? Better watch my back. Can't trust him. Oh, I love you, George. With an asterisk. You know, with a disclaimer. You know? Yeah, but here's the thing with God. God says right here in this passage, I'll bring healing to your backsliding and I will love you freely. This is what we need to grasp. Okay, so let's talk about natural reactions. When you and I sin, what's our first reaction? thought when it comes to God and how he sees us. We, okay, Tim says that he thinks he sees us less. Anybody else? What do we think? We think he's changed, right? We think he's changed in how he deals with us. Or if he forgives us, he forgives us with a caveat, with like, okay, I'll forgive you, but uh, it's not going to be the same anymore. Or, yeah, I love you, but it's not like the love that I had with you, for you before in the same intensity, you know. That's not God, because God's saying here to Israel, who, by the way, Israel's sacrificing their children. I mean, can you think of something more horrific than that? They're, 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 they're not showing mercy. They're just stealing off of each other. They're murdering each other. And they're dishonoring him. And he says, I'll heal your backsliding and I will love you freely. What I want you to see here, this is a picture of the God who loves you. Is that not awesome? The prophet's trying to get you to see the God who loves you. 
Man, that's just awesome, isn't it? This is what comes out. Even in spite of everything they did wrong, he still loves them. And he says, he'll heal their backsliding and he'll love them freely. Now let's go on. So the Lord will be refreshing to Israel and she will prosper as a nation. So he says, I'll be like the dew. Now for us, in the, so I don't know about you, but I get irritated sometimes. You get up in the morning, you got to walk across the grass and it's wet. You know what I'm saying? You, you wanted your shoes to be nice and now it's got clippings on it because of the dew and everything. And so dew sometimes, you know, yes, it's nice, but it can be irritating. Well, in an agrarian culture out in the Middle East, where it's arid, yeah, dew would be very refreshing, wouldn't it? Moisture in the morning, on the ground. And this is the picture, not like here in PA, but think it Middle East, think Israel. The Lord will be refreshing to Israel, and what? She will prosper, is what the prophet is saying. She's going to prosper. So, Here's what it is. Ephraim will renounce the idols and the Lord will be their source. They'll renounce the idols. So when you see these words coming out of her, why? I don't need the idols anymore. God is my source. Do you understand? God is my source. God is my source. So, just real quick here because I do want to give you a chance to Here's the way of wisdom. So verse 9 is interesting. He's done with his prophecy, and so now verse 9 is kind of a final call to the way of wisdom. And so here, if you look at verse 9, let me read to you again what he says here. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. What things? The prophecy we just looked at. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. So here's what I want you to see. Three things. Number one, the prophet calls the reader to consider the words of this prophecy if they are wise. You know what I'm saying? If you're wise, if you are teachable, consider what he's saying here. There's a lot of powerful things we've seen in this. It's not just condemnation, but God's love. Okay? And if the reader is to know the ways of is to know that the ways of the Lord are right and, the, and the, 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 the reader is to know that the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous walk in them. That, that's what I'm trying to say there. So the reader's going to know this is the ways of the Lord are right and we need to walk in them. Because here's the reality. Transgressors or sinners will stumble at the ways of the Lord. They're not. They're not going to find anything in here. They're going to stumble at them. They're going to get hung up on them. Okay? You know, here's the thing. When I hear people say, I, you know, God just wants, keeps wanting to tell me what to do, and I, you know, he's just a big boss, blah, blah. I, you know, here's the thing. God sets up his system, which, by the way, we're not living under the same system the Jews are living under with the law. Be thankful for that. Okay? When God sets up his system and he says, I don't want you to do this, I don't want you to do that, it's because he's like a parent who says to a child, wear your seatbelt. Drive carefully. Don't run out into the street when there's traffic coming. He's showing love 
to us, wanting what's best for our lives. He's not there just to ruin your life. But see, here's the problem. Transgressors think that God's out to what? Squash their joy. Squash what they want to do. But if you're the righteous and you understand the ways of the Lord and what God's heart is, you'll what? You'll respond and you'll say, yeah, I'll do what you say, Lord, because you're protecting me. You're watching over me. This is the end of Hosea. Next week we'll get into Joel. Joel. 